Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney E. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast Round 24 Preview. This is it, the night of nights and days of days, the final home and away round of the season. All our finals contenders uh, get uh, revealed, I want to say, like it's a reality TV show. It's a bit reality TV-ish this season. Plenty of soap opera thrown in, and we'll talk about that uh, later on as well. As I say, big hello to my co-host, Mr. Rodney Eade. How are you, Rocket? Very good. Thanks, Roland. Um, only one round to go, and uh, we thought last week that uh, it'd be all guns blazing with down to the last round, and, and it's only one game that matters. So uh, it was a little bit disappointing from last week to keep the... Uh, uh, thrilling edge to it, but anyway, looking forward to this round. Well, we're on the money about something. We've been doing our ladder predictors, and we predicted that uh, it would all be torn to shreds because there'd be some sort. And we got that spot on, but uh, yeah, the best laid plans, eh? Because it, it looked like, uh, I mean, basically the penultimate round has ended up being the most crucial round, hasn't it? Although, uh, depending on certain results this week, it still could go down to that last game of the season. Oh, yeah, no, it certainly could, but, you know, three teams just blew their chances last week, just blew it up. So um, we thought at least two of them, Adelaide, probably didn't blow themselves up, even though their first half was poor, but Geelong blew theirs up completely, and, and Essendon was, were abysmal. So uh, there were three teams that uh, actually um, out, of the, out of the running, well, we thought two of them would still be in the running this weekend. So, um, so it was a little bit disappointing that way. Well, some Adelaide people would have you believe a goal umpire, in fact, blew this. Yeah, I was trying to get to, but their first half was shocking. So. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, I mean, they in the end, they now they should have won, probably. Uh, but there's still 70 seconds to go. You never know what happens. But, uh, uh, no, it was a terrible mistake. Well, we'll talk about that very shortly, because that is an ongoing controversy. Uh, some big coaching news. A uh, bit of a chat about um, some uh, draft picks and jiggling of uh, priority picks and all that sort of stuff. Plenty to talk about and, of course, nine big games to preview. Let's get stuck in. On Footyology Newsfeed. Well, let's start with uh, coaching news because uh, we have a new coach for next year revealed. Well, new in inverted commas. And fair to say, this is a contender for worst kept secret in footy for some time. But Damien Hardwick is the new um, coach of the Gold Coast Suns on a six-year deal, uh, joining that uh, not-so-long honour board of Gold Coast coaches, of which you were proudly one, Rocket. How many coaches of Gold Coast now? One, two, so fourth. Yeah, well, fourth. And then if you have a few stand-ins, maybe eight. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, jest about it, but six-year deal for Damien Harvey. Interesting length of contract, that. You sort of tend to think people will be three years or five years. Don't often think six. I think he made a gag about it was the uh, the bonus steak knives part of the equation. But uh, I'll just get your thoughts on that. I guess um, given that uh, marketing uh, concerns are always part of the equation for a club like Gold Coast, he was available... You know, he's a triple premiership coach. I guess most people would say it was probably a bit of a no-brainer. Do you feel like that about this appointment? Oh, I think it's the best appointment. I think uh, people have asked me, you know, does it give it relevance? And it, and it does in the short term. Um, 
But again, it's going to depend on results. If they you know, hover about where they are at the moment or just outside the eight, well, there's going to be the sun. The, the thing if you measure by crowds or members, now that, that might improve. But all the expats, whether it's Victorian or South Australians, don't go up there for football. They go up there for lifestyle. And they've already got their own footy team. So footy's not a big part of their life as such. So it's be able to convert the locals, uh, which is always going to be a tough, tough ask. But I think it's the best appointment that they can make. Um, six years is, as you said, is a is a long time. Um, I think it's a, I think what's what's happening with Simpson and Beveridge, and whether they kept their jobs or lose. I, I would think Beveridge got keep his job, but it shows initially uh, the first contract of a coach needs to be a minimum three years. He's got runs on the board. I thought it'd be five. They give him six, but as they go on, no matter what they've done, whether it's Clarkson or wherever it may be. Once they've coached about five or six years, I wouldn't be going too early on coaches. I'd be waiting what like, like maybe Port had waited to the nth degree with Hinkley, but as proven with Beveridge or Simpson, or say Simpson's a one, he's got two years to go. It's a multi million dollar payout. Like it's bad business decision. No matter if he's won a premiership and he's a good coach, whatever the case may be, but things can turn south very quickly. Um so this is not an hard risk case, but I think in the coaching contract stakes i think clubs have got to be better at what they do well i i just throw something in there i was just thinking about this as you were talking i'm not sure we have the same culture around uh you know leviathan coaches now so hardwick's a triple premiership coach but i'm not sensing the same sort of atmosphere as like say when lee matthews went to brisbane and i think there's a couple of things there i think maybe we're a bit more grown up about the power a coach actually has over a club but secondly, the pool is so much bigger now. It's not like you have this handful of coaching legendary names and then everyone else is very much in the shadows. You've got, you know, the current sort of crop and there's so many assistants now. And then there's another pool of guys who might even be out of that, outside that assistant sphere. And that was the case we saw when, you know, with the appointment of, say, Luke Beveridge, when he was appointed to the Bulldogs job or... Phil Walsh, the late Phil Walsh, when he was appointed to that job. There's so many different areas now from which a potential coaching appointment can be made that, and this goes to what you're saying, I don't think there's this, oh, we've got to desperately lock in this coach because he might go somewhere else. I'm not sensing there's the same fervour around a big coaching name as there used to be. No, no, no. And I certainly agree now that Ron Barassi coming in as the sire and all those sorts of things. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And I think Ready to Gale and Richmond have probably set the platform very, very early on this year, saying, "Well, do we need an experienced coach?" It's, uh, Simpson was an inexperienced coach. Hardwick was an inexperienced coach. Clarkson was an inexperienced coach. So, uh, I think clubs—you uh, can use the word "grown up," but probably been a bit more, uh, take a bit more perspective. Um, yeah. And and the the bottom line too is going to save money. <laughs> Yeah. So of their of their of their soft cap, and can they spend that money somewhere else rather than uh, coach a million dollars? So um, yeah, I, I think they're becoming smarter and spreading the spreading the net a bit wider. So Damien Hardwick, six years. Uh, do you look at Gold Coast talent as it exists now? He he made the comment on his appointment that eighty percent of their next or first Premiership side yeah. will be players that are already on the list. Do you feel like that's an accurate assessment or a bit of hyperbole? 
I think it's I perfectly to a degree. I think I think what he was who he was preaching to were the players who were in the room. Yeah. So to give them confidence to say, listen, oh yeah, we're not that far off and uh, it was a work up. Um no, I don't I don't think there's eighty percent in the room. I think there's still some areas that they need to improve, obviously, um, is where they finish on the ladder. Um but having said that, the one thing the Gold Coast expansion has done, uh not numbers and it's not money and there's not membership, et cetera, but uh, TV audience one. But the other thing is is the factory they're gonna have with the with the Academy. Now their first three picks this year are gonna be local lads. So young lads, young kids are playing Australian rules and not rugby as much. So that it's growing. So that'll help the talent pool for the whole league, but it's certainly gonna help the Suns, especially by having Northern Territory as well. So you've seen this factory line of players coming in where that'll help their salary cap. They won't need to pay a lot over the cap to keep players as such. They'll have these um, local players, and I think that'll be good for them and good for footy. Now you're, you're, in a nutshell, you are still quite bullish about the prospects of Gold Coast succeeding as an AFL club. It, there's so many ways to measure it. I and mean, if your measurement's uh, making finals, um, which is probably the main one, I suppose, and certainly premierships, making finals, yeah, I, I think... Yeah, I, th- I think they're, it's it's just a, a slow build, but I, I think they're on the right track. Whether they get to the top of the mountain, I don't know, but um, but I, I always need to be reasonable expectation to make the finals next year. All right, well, time will tell, but uh, certainly uh, Damien Harwick, a big name in charge of the club now, no doubt. It's, now, you mentioned uh, Adam Simpson, Luke Berridge. I want to have a quick chat about where you see both of these guys. Um, first off, Luke Beveridge. I'm really, I, I, did, I wrote something about the Bulldogs for ESPN the other day. They were my premiership tip. I'm starting to look at them now and think maybe I overestimated their talent. I think I overestimated the impact the loss of Dunkley and Hunter would have on that midfield group. But one thing, I'm really fascinated at how savagely their support base seems to have turned on Luke Beveridge. Now, I think the rest of the footy world seems to be think more favourably of Beveridge than a lot of Bulldog supporters do now. His contract situation, re-signed at the end of last year for two years, so he's contracted to the end of last year. But there's people arguing seriously, you know, he they should... Um, sack him and, and move on. Uh, it's an interesting situation. How, how do you think Luke Beveridge is tracking? It all comes down to expectation. And like you, uh, you know, I'm saying it's wrong, and a lot of Bulldog supporters would have thought, well, played the grand final at 21, 22 was a bit of a dip, but we've added to our list. So our list is a very good list. That's what their perception say. As you said, over underrated what Dunkley and Hunter to a lesser degree done. Added Jones, Lob. Lob really, to be honest, has been a great, great get, but that's been overrated. Jones has really helped them. Unfortunately, hurt his arm. Um, and with a natural development, they'd think, oh, yeah, we're in the window. And most, and a lot of pundits thought that as well. So their expectation is top four as a minimum. Not reaching that and losing to West Coast and losing just losing some games that they shouldn't have. I mean, there's a stat. Apart from West Coast Eagles, they've had the most scored against them by top eight teams. So they've really got some real big issues. Um, uh, 
they've been, except for West Coast, they've, they've beaten the bottom sides pretty easily and struggled against top eight teams. Um, I think he you know he's got two years to go. He won't get the sack. He needs, you know, he'll stay there. Next year will be a pressure year, depending how they go. So that's really the the Bulldogs saw him as as the hierarchy saw him as the coach going forward, back to this coaching contract. But they've read the tea leaves wrong as in, I oh, will go early, give him an extension because that'll take the pressure off. But there's still pressure now, even though they've signed him. So they they could have waited till the end of this end of this year and then go, oh gee, what do we do? That gives them a clear sight as far as contract money, etc. So now I think they'll keep him. I think he's proven he's on a premiership. He's got to another grand final. Uh, there are some certain issues with the list. I think too, if he survives, whoever the footy director, I think probably Luke Darcy, Chris Grant, probably need to talk to Luke about this is where we see your areas of development or where you need to improve. We'll put support around you in that area, whether that be match day tactics, whether it be uh, around selection, people be able to challenge him, whatever the case may be. They'll, they'll need to do that, and that act as a, as a support rather than a thing that as a negative for you and you need to pull your socks up. I think it, So I think that, that'll happen. So one quick question, quick answer. What is the single biggest area where they're deficient and needs to be addressed, do you think? Uh, game style. Okay. It's, 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 it's the same game style six years ago. Teams have worked it out. Games moved on. Uh, they have no, apart from their handball gun, which is okay, but they do bomb the ball inside 50. They don't really look to give it to Norton on a lead or Jamara maybe is one who, who draws a footy that way. So, and they, and the other thing is I think they defend too aggressively. They get a lot of goals out the back. Yeah. And they need, just need to, Probably, which is only tweaks. I mean, there's nothing major. I'm not saying you know, I take the overhaul, the game plan, but you've got to evolve every year. Footy's changing. Uh, opposition, you're doing homework. They're, they're modifying their style and changing. So I think it just needs a bit of modification. All right. No, interesting comments. Now, Adam Simpson, um, is there any question, do you think, that he should? stay or go. I mean, I'm I'm not definitive about it. It's the obvious. I think more people are sort of thinking, oh, surely it's time, end of an era, da-da-da-da-da. Is it that cut and dried about him coaching the Eagles, do you think, or not? Uh, this one, really, you'd have to know the internal workings. Yeah. I think the only thing that'll save him is the payout. Yeah. So, therefore, in other words, he should go. Really. Yeah. Um, the only thing, the other thing is, saving, do they see him as a developing coach who can develop a younger list? I don't know the answer to that. Um, but certainly, you know, this year's been horrible. Last year was terrible as well. And yeah. the previous year, they missed the final. So that's three in a row. If that was a Melbourne-based team, because in the past, Eagles have controlled the media to a fair degree, what the message is. Yeah. If that was a Melbourne-based coach, he'd be smashed in the media. Yeah. He'd be... And they're saying, oh, there's a hatchet job done on him. Well, there's no hatchet job. The results are is the reason why he's been questioned. And I think, look, he's a good coach. Perhaps he needs clear air to go somewhere else. He'll get another job. Mm. Perhaps he needs to revitalise by going to a new organisation as well. So I think for both parties, I think it's probably best that he does, he does move on. 
All right. Well, let's move. Let's us move on. And one of the consequences of West Coast winning last week appears to be that North Melbourne now looks to finish. Uh, looks to be likely to finish on the bottom of the ladder. Um. Well, no. They, if they beat Gold Coast, they might not. Well, but on that, on that, we don't want to talk about tank and fleece, but I was just reading an article yesterday that the Gold Coast looked like they might rest quite a few players, like surgery and that sort of thing. So. So neither of these sides want to win. Well, it doesn't matter about Gold Coast, really. They don't. They probably, it's only a spot on the list. I'm not worried about them as such. But if they had got playing players that are injured and they put them out to pasture, what do North do? Is look, look, to be to be quite honest, it's it is no value for them to win the game, North Melbourne. Take tanking, take the tanking out of the out of the out of our vernacular. There's no value for them to finish second last. Okay, well, explain to our listeners, well, I know you're big on this and the, the thing about priority picks. Explain to our audience why, what you're thinking is. Well, at the moment, they finish last and Harley Reid has seen the best player. From him to from one to two is a, is a bit of a gap. Yeah. So he's the best player. So they've already got a very good midfield, excellent player. Um, now, if they finished last... There's rumours going around that they've made an application to get a kid called Riley Sanders from Tasmania and he should go on the draft as a next-generation NGA player. Right. Is that similar to what Aaron Thomas was? Yes, that time, yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, claiming it as their recruiting territory. Yeah. So technically by the rules, it's no, but they might make a concession to that. There's rumours about the Ben Mackay, who's... With all due respect, he's not the best hundred players in the competition. Like he, he's, you know, he's a battler. Um, and they talk about eight hundred thousand now. If it's Port or whatever, I couldn't see anyone paying him eight hundred thousand. But they can do that, then they can change his contract down the track. I understand that. So there's ways to manipulate that. But there was rumours that even though they paid six hundred, the AFL as a concession would give them pick two in the draft. Yeah. Now, if they do that, they get pick one and pick two. That is an enormous uh, uplift. Also, the Eagles, if I was the Eagles and that happens or it's about to happen, I would actually knock the door down, yeah. the AFL house. Because there's a kid called Curtin in WA who's a tall forward and they reckon he's he was in the top five and the rumour is he probably is a top two player. So whether North would take him, doesn't I don't know, but therefore the West Coast Eagles are a chance to lose a local prodigy. Yeah. And if I was them and North take him, the West Coast Eagles, be so there'll be a bit of argy-bargy going on in the background about uh, about this young lad and what happens with Ben Mackay with pick two. So um, that's why it's so important, these concessions, that can really change the dynamics of a club's fortunes. So just in a nutshell, say if you're taking the second round of selections too, because North, by virtue of their weighted position, would have an early... Yeah, think of the at the moment, which will be pushed back with father son and and clubs matching um, bids, etc., like that. But if, he, if their best case scenario is pick one, pick two, North Melbourne, yeah, they get that Riley Sanders as a freebie. Yeah, They've got pick fifteen or sixteen at the moment from Port Adelaide for Horn Francis. Yeah, so that's a future pick, and they'll have pick nineteen. So they'll have four of the first nineteen plus Sanders. That's a lot. And Sanders, I reckon, it'll be a top ten pick. So they'll have five. Five really good players. 
Okay, so so here's my thing about the draft. Uh, like, uh, it's I find there's so many different impositions on it now, and you've just described some. How do we ever get around this? How do we ever make sure this doesn't sort of happen? Well, you're always going to get teams that are calling for concessions, and they've got the the NGA Academy, and they've changed the rules along down the way. Now, so if they don't get a bid in the top twenty, so. Because clubs all the time are finding loopholes with whatever the AFL bring in, and they and they manipulate those best they can, which is fair enough. Um, I don't know what the answer to that is, Ron. I mean, if you have a complete open draft, then it then uh, the academies of each state um, they go like the Gold Coast uh, yeah. and Tassie. When the, I mean Tassie coming in, so therefore they're going to want access to their local lads. So you can't see it changing any time in the future. So it's a bit of a balance, a bit of a grey involved with it. There's no doubt. I, I can't think of another. I might be wrong, but I can't think of another sport in the world where there's a, a system with this many. Uh, like I, I gave up trying to understand how the draft system works a decade ago because there are that many different. You know, the academies. Yeah, 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 that's right. And they're adding all the time, so it is difficult. That's why clumps have got to be right across it. Uh, and how to work that to the best of their advantage. All right, let's finish off by talking about a story that's still ongoing, and it is the goal umpiring controversy from Adelaide. I'm going to assume that everyone listening to this knows pretty much the mechanics of what happened. Ben Keyes has a shot for goal. It should have been a goal. Um, Gil McLaughlin's come out and said it. Yeah, you know, the review should have been called for. Should have been overturned. There were 71 seconds left on the clock. I've been thinking about this. Now, there's various things have emerged. Some people arguing, and Jake Michaels in ESPN's Debate Club and I discuss this. Jake thinks that there should be uh, any shot that goes in off the post should still be called a goal, which would take away some of the grey area. Um, I'm of the view that that's a fundamental too great a fundamental change to the scoring system that you're always going to get some sort of human error even with technology as this proved what i'm what i'm uh, dirty about is that you know we've now had goal reviews since 2012 so this is the 11th uh 12th season of a goal technology we've been talking about since 2009 and tom hawkins goal in the 2009 and stuff like this is still happening. The the amazing thing for me is that it took this for someone to go, oh, hang on, we review every goal automatically, but we don't review every point. Perhaps there's the odd occasion in a thousand games where a point might be a pretty important score. And so now, of course, they're talking about maybe creating an extra buffer whereby points could be reviewed as well. Except Rocket and Greg Borman, the A's first pointed this out, they had this because until 2006, you had to wait till the umpire waved the flag to kick in. Now, in the interest of continuous play, you don't have to do that. So they they bring all these things in. They don't fully consider the consequences. And then even with goal review technology, it came in in 2012. Deficient then, there was a massive big deal made of the upgrade and the arc in 2019 and how it was all everything now was super duper. And we've still got holes in it. It's not good enough. It's amateurish. No, and I think that's that's the main point is them not spending the money to get the technology right. And yeah. every other sport, NHL, uh, even in soccer, the VAR, all the other sports, 
have upgraded it. Even cricket are upgrading their technology all the time. I'm not saying it's 100% perfect, but they. But we're still caught in the dark ages of 10 years ago where there's no snickometer, there's no uh, camera on the post, whatever it is, take, spend the money. And you stop this because this costs a team a season. Adelaide were a good chance and probably would have made the eight. So it has enormous ramifications. Um, I think, and it, you know, as initially people were saying, oh, well, review it while the ball just comes back in. And if it gets, and that, they do that in some sports, I think. Yeah, well, it was, there's soccer. It, soccer it like, and until the next stoppage. But what happens if they kick in, like the. Um, they kick in and they get a goal from it. It's not touch, it goes down the other end. Well, do you discount that goal? That, to me, and that might be one in a million chance, but it's still a chance. So uh, I think the only solution is, as you say, or the, 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 now the main solution is get the technology right. Yeah. That was human error. Because initially my thought was, well, we can't blame the review system because the umpire didn't call for it. Yeah, yeah. It's the umpire's fault. But... If we had a different review system and an upgrade, as you were saying, and updated, we would be not, or well, we wouldn't be where we are today. At the moment, until they get the, uh, you know, the money spent on that technology, they've got to give it seven seconds or six seconds or eight seconds, whatever it is, for the kick in, and we slow it down until it gets reviewed. That, so what, that's that's how. So let's do that. Let's go back to you can't kick in until we umpire's waves of play. Exactly, and do that for the finals. Yeah. They can change that now. Yeah. They can change that after round 24. This is what we're doing. Okay, you're kicking. Is, you've got how many seconds? The umpire will wave the flag, and then you can bring the ball in. It's just so ridiculously reactive. It just And, and and you know, I guess I'm guilty of it too because I haven't sat there and gone, well, what about this? What about that? But you just presume that when they're overhauling the arc three years ago and making a big sign dance about it, um, that – Someone's gone, well, hang on, what about points? We probably need to review them as well as ourselves. I, I think the thing, and I've, I've mentioned it for years, any rule change, let's just get back to rule change, they never worry or go deep enough for the unintended consequences. Yeah. Oh, this has generated this. Oh, let's change the rule. Let's change the other rule to compensate for what this rule's done. So yeah. it's, instead of, okay, what are the what are the negatives? What's the downside? What's the, let's be the devil's advocate. What are we going to do in this situation? And and investigate that. Have someone at AFL House investigate that. And even ask clubs, and that's their role, that's their job. And but they never do that. Well, and, and perf- yeah, perfectly articulated. And that always reminds me of one of my favourite lines out of Blackadder, one of my favourite comedy <laughs> shows, which is Blackadder saying to Baldrick, "Well, Baldrick, let us not forget the time you tried to solve the problem of your mother's low ceilings by cutting off her head." I didn't do the consequence. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, big discussion. Uh, we should be on the AFL's uh, football um, committee, I think, Rocket, to uh, nip the committee in the butt instead of Baldrick, who clearly is on the AFL's uh, administration now. All right. Uh, big news segment. we got games to preview. Let's get stuck into it. On Footyology. Previews with Punch. The final round of a season kicks off on Friday night, 7.50 at the MCG. Well, it was supposed to be a bumper uh, game this, but of course Essendon didn't fulfil their end of the bargain. Uh, that's an understatement against GWS. <laughs> and so um, 
well, no, pretty meaningless, really, in every, every which way you look at it. But Essendon is taking on Collingwood. Essendon 10th now, 11 and 11 after that 126-point loss to the Giants, fifth biggest in their history. The Pies still on top, 17-5, but another loss for them by 24 points to Brisbane. Uh, they've played once this season, of course, Anzac Day. Good game, that one, when Collingwood won by 13 points. Essendon have lost seven of the last 10 against the Pies. At the MCG, Essendon, four wins and 11 losses since the start of last year, so their record there is not good. The Pies, well, they play at the MCG most weeks, don't they? 23 wins from 29 games since the start of last year. I'll talk about personnel in a sec, Rocket, but, uh, well, Essendon, they need to salvage something here because that was a disgraceful effort. Yeah, it it certainly was. I watched parts of that because uh, I like the Giants, but it was like witches' hats. They just sit there. Like there was at times they get through a contest, and when you watch other games, it's like they they kick it to they've got to kick it to another contest. Like it's just they're kicking the blocks by themselves for twenty thirty meters. And players and a player who I rate, no, I don't mean to tip a bucket on him, Andrew McGrath. He didn't chase there one time. One time. Yeah, yeah. Like he he was walking and a guy was running around the boundary and ran like it was, and, and I'm sure and I don't know Andrew I'm sure that he didn't realise that he was like that I'm sure yeah. that's not a deliberate action and they were they were they were abysmal with all due respects to Hogan I know they're on demand but he's not a great kicker he had to kick nine goals and like he, he was great and looked impressive but you know, they uh, I you would expect a a response, um, but I don't think it's going to be a good enough response to get me a result. But in a way, there, there is, I, I, there is, you expect a response, but I, I think it was so bad that, and I'm certainly of this view, I don't care what their response is this week. That's not good. I'm not going to suddenly think more kindly of them. Oh, no, no, I don't think it's think. I think it's more for self, self-confidence and self-belief rather than uh, outside noise, um, because if they had another loss like that, and Collingwood has uh, got a, a few out of the seats, few of the better players. Um, gee, it's a long summer for them, and what it does, it gives Red Scott some clarity and some vision now, and some sight about. Okay, I thought this player was okay early in the year, but gee, I've got some question marks on him, and this is where we need to improve. Because really, up until six, seven weeks ago, and and. I think we've both spoken about how positive we thought this season was. Yeah. Uh, but the last six or seven weeks has been has been terrible. Uh, oh, it's better poor. And I can't see them getting close to Collingwood. Even without Dacos and Moore, I think Collingwood really will want to have a win. They, uh, they'll give it on the weekend after next week. Uh, they will want to have a win uh, to get in, to bank up that confidence going into the finals. And I, um, I can't see Essendon really getting too close to them. Well, let's talk personnel. Uh, Pies will regain both Jordan Dugowie and Bobby Hill for this game, so that's important for them to get uh, you know members of that best 23 in that last game before finals. Essendon did get back last week, Draper, Stringer and Caldwell. Uh, Guelphie did a hammy. He won't be there. Um, but, yeah, it's a bit of a, a tune-up for the Pies. I think they get the job done. Pretty easily, don't they? I'm I'm going to go for no. I'm going to go for Collingwood by thirty six points. Yeah, I'll go for Collingwood by thirty nine. Just a question, yeah, rhetorical question, I suppose. But yeah, for answer, but 
I don't think uh, a few of the excellent players are fit enough, and I think they need a big pre-season, and Brad Scott needs to pull the hammer as he hard. And Stringer's one of them. Stringer's one of them, and it's stuff flying on talent, stuff flying on what he can do, and he might be able to kick three goals in one game and turn a game, and then, do, and then goes missing for five weeks, and then gets injured. Not good enough. Mm. You know, these are the rules. This is the way. This is what we expect. If you don't do it, you can go. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, to me, this comes back to I'm I'm always banging this drum, but this is a club where the culture has been waking for more than two decades now, and I think this is where you, the telltale signs are because it's almost like it doesn't matter who the fitness people are. These guys, it, and it, it makes me start. Tell me if I'm wrong or not, but it makes me start thinking if regardless of who the fitness people are, those guys are constantly short of the mark fitness-wise. Is this a group of players that is prepared to work enough in their own time and go that extra extra percent or two to be the best players they can? And, and the evidence seems to be that, no, they're not. They think they're at a certain level, but it's miles below where you actually need Exactly. And I think part of recruiting and the drafting is a mindset and an attitude and character. And you can't just recruit some talent. Because we make excuses for talent. Our industry, we make excuses for talent. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a certain standard or a certain demarcation line where you just don't compromise below that, no matter if they've got talent. And I think we, as an industry, I think we make too many excuses and too many compromises for people with talent. So has Essendon been recruiting the wrong players? Well, I don't know them well enough, but uh, well, you question Stringer. I'd question Stringer. Uh, Dylan Sheila, time show thing, but... Um, Who's the guy? Uh, Devin Smith. Yeah. I thought thought he was selfish. Yeah. Um, played. He had one good year where he decided to tackle and do all that sorts of things. I think, uh, yeah, I don't think you just get a nine for the sake of getting a nine. It's just a matter of they've got to fit. And you sort of about culture. Well, let's change the culture. Let's develop the way we, what we need and what our standards are. And players have got to fit into that. Maybe they need to change the, um, the people uh, in charge of selecting their talent. Well, that's in the your term probably draft, but there'll be a a list management committee, which the coach is part of as well, um, about who we who we trade in from other clubs. So it, it just needs to be looked at, I think. Yep. Massive issues there and they're gonna take some time to sort out, no question. So just reiterating the tips. Yes, Collingwood fans, you are playing in this game. Collingwood's thirty nine points to you, Rocket. Yes. Thirty six points for me. All right, let's talk about Saturday. Uh, well, let's be honest, no meaningful stakes attached to this one either, but 1.45, the MCG, Saturday sees Hawthorne taking on Fremantle, the Hawks, 16th at 7 and 15 after a 27-point loss to Melbourne. Frio, 14th, 9 and 13, 16-point uh, loss to Port Adelaide. Frio won the last five games between these two sides and did smash the Hawks by 69 points in Perth back in round eight. Hawks haven't beaten Freo since 2019. Uh, haven't been great at the MCG this year. The Hawks have won two and lost six. Fremantle have played two games at the G this year. They beat Melbourne. That was probably their best win for the season, but lost pretty comprehensively to Collingwood. Interesting that Freo's two spots higher on the ladder rocket, but they'd be bitterly disappointed with this year, whereas we're looking at Hawthorne, who are third last, but I think not too many Hawthorne people would be anything but really happy about what they've got out of this year. Do you agree with that? 
Oh, I totally agree. I think, uh, well, Fremantle made the finals last year with a young team. You think there'd be improvement. Um, they've gone backwards. Uh, everyone predicted Hawthorne close to not winning a game. Um, they've had some really big scouts. Uh, their last half of the season's been really encouraging. Um, had a few of their players out last week, Newcomb and Lewis, and they still pushed a top four side to three goals. And so, in the last week's performance was a really good effort. So, um, yeah, I you know, like what's coming out of Hawthorne. Um, it'll be interesting. I, I, I don't think the game will be... Uh, I think it'll be an interesting game. I think it'll be a close game. I think it might depend on personnel, so I might get to personnel first before I think... What? Yeah, well, key uh, absentee or returnee, if you like, for Hawthorne will be Jai Newcomb, who missed last week, was a late withdrawal with hamstring tightness. Uh, he's expected to return, so big plus for them. Lewis, unlikely to play, they're saying, but uh, hasn't been ruled out just yet. That's with, he's got a foot injury. Um, and as far as the Dockers go, Banfield subs out last week against Port with an AC joint injury that requires scans. O'Meara, um, he won't play. He's got a calf injury. And Jai Amos, i.e. the medieval page boy, uh, who looks like he needs a good night's sleep. He's got a hip pointer issue, uh, expected to play. However, apologies to Jai Amos. I don't know, mate. You just look like you need a good eight hours sleep or something, mate. <laughs> anyway, go on. So how does that affect your assessment? Um, yeah, I think when you come back, certainly if Lewis was back uh, as well, I'd um, 100% go forward. But I, I still think the Hawks can get the job done um, at the home ground. No team's playing for much. Fremantle will probably play for less. I think Hawthorne have got a bit of confidence up. Uh, as you said, the last half of the season's been pretty good. So I'll go to the Hawks by nine points. Yeah, I'm quite confident about the Hawks for this one for the reasons you just said. You know, look, Freo gave a pretty reasonable effort against Port at home. But I think they're in that that sort of their mindset this year. They're just, you know, like it gets all a bit hard for them on the road and no stakes attached to it. And Hawthorne... If you're weighing up the motivation of the two sides, I think it's Hawthorne can get more out of a good performance in this game than Freo will um, because they'll be, you know, impressing two men and a dog who are there to watch them, uh, who are Freo supporters. So I think Hawthorne win this one reasonably well. I'm prepared to go or we'll, we'll go out in a win here and say Hawthorne by 20 points. Wow. This is a big margin for me. <laughs> All right, uh, another game on Saturday afternoon at the same time. That one's down in Tassie. Well, there are some interesting ramifications on this one about uh, the ladder and who does or doesn't want to finish on the bottom. We're talking about North Melbourne and Gold Coast at Blundstone Arena in Hobart, 1.45pm. North last on the ladder now after West Coast victory. They're 2-20. They've lost 20 in a row. Lost to Richmond by 29 points. The Suns, a really good effort against Carlton. Uh, lost by just four points. They're 15th on the ladder. But uh, nine wins with that 15th spot. Hasn't been that bad a season by them, I don't think. Head-to-head, Gold Coast won five of the last six between these two and did beat North by 43 points in round six. And Blundstone, North's home away from home, hasn't uh, been a happy hunting ground. They've lost their last eight games there now, and their last win was, in fact, over Gold Coast. But back in 2021, that was Gold Coast's only previous trip 
to Blundstone Arena and uh, it produced a loss. Uh, who wants to win less in this game, Rocket? I think North want to win less. Um, I mean, if, if the Gold Coast win and Fremantle lose, they had to go up one spot in the ladder. So it's it's not a it's not a big deal to them. Um, but as Geelong are doing, Gold Coast same teams may put players out to surgery early. Um, so I'd be interested to see whether that happens. So maybe we'll look at personnel. So, yeah, well, what, yeah, let's talk about that. So King out, Lacocious out, Humphrey out. Um, they're fairly big outs. And for the Roos, uh, Davies Uniac, uh, McDonald uh, will probably miss, almost certain to miss. Uh, William Shields could return after missing the last fortnight, but already a really long injury list for the Roos who have lost, uh, well, you know, have all their stars out basically and don't want to win. So not a very compelling case of tipping North Melbourne Rocket. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, they've, you know, they've been close since Clarkson's been back. They've, they've, uh, they've been, you know, they've pushed sides and they've, they've shown a bit of with some injuries. And the Suns had a really good performance last week. So even without King and Makosius, we can kick some goals. Um, I still think with their talented midfield, which in the ruck um, has had a very good year. Their defence last week struggled with Kerno, uh, but generally they've been, you know, been reasonably solid. And now, I think the Suns have improved enough and showed a lot that they should be able to should be able to win this game. I I don't think, depending on the weather conditions, I keep saying about the wind at uh, Blundstone Arena, which will spoil it, but which will suit North if that happens because they'd be used to it. But I think the Suns. I don't think it'll be. Uh, one-sided game, but I think the Suns will win this game. Do you think we'll see, you know, the fact that North, I mean, we're, we're effectively, I'm going to be very careful about suggesting this, but, you know, if a, if one side isn't that invested in winning for obvious reasons and another side, you know, put half their best play, what happens when there's a game between two sides that neither really want to win that much? Uh what do you mean by what happens? Well, what, what do they kick the ball back to each other or what? I, I, I think the Suns will. I, I, I think it'll be. I think once the players go over the line, they want to win. Now they yeah. want to play. They've, they've got personal pride, so that I don't think that'll be an issue. I don't. I think that'll be an issue. I, I think the Suns really have, even their their losses um, last week wasn't for the full game, but the previous losses have had. They've shown good form for two to three quarters. So. I think their form and confidence will be up. So I think they'll they'll play this. I think North have shown that they now they're competitive. And your Larky's in good form. Obviously Zerhar's out in support. So back a stop Larky. That'll that'll help the Suns. But North have got a talented uh, midfield coming along. So I, I think they'll give a yelp. There's no doubt. I think uh, I don't think players because it's not going to be spoken about that. I mean it's just obvious out there. But I mean they're going to pick a, a side that's going to be competitive. So but I think the Suns will win this. All right, give us a margin. Uh, 21 points. I'm going for Gold Coast by 28 points. Uh, all right, let's talk Saturday Twilight. Well, here's a game definitely with some big stakes attached to it. Brisbane St Kilda, 4.35pm at the Gabba. Brisbane second on the ladder after a great win over Collingwood by 24 points. They've won eight of their last 10 now. St Kilda 6th after a similarly impressive win over Geelong by 33 points. Uh, they've won four of their last five now, the Saints. Brisbane v St Kilda head-to-head. Brisbane have won five of the last six. Uh, did beat the Saints not all that long ago, round 15. 
at Marble Stadium by 28 points. The Gabba, it is a real fortress to the Lions these days. They've won 20 out of 22 there and all 10 games there this season. St Kilda at the Gabba, five wins and five losses from their last 10. But only one of those wins has come against Brisbane. The others, of course, during uh, the hubs and, and lockdown or whatever of 2020 and 2021. Well, massive stakes here, Rocket, because that's stake for both these sides. Brisbane win and they shore up a home final and potentially two games en route to a grand final. And uh, St Kilda, well, they win. They get a home final. They lose. There's every chance they could end up having to play Sydney in Sydney, which I don't think they'd be great fans of. So massive stakes, this one. And there's massive stakes. And um, uh, St Kilda have been, have been pretty good the last few weeks. They um, started to score as well, move the ball quickly. Um, still defending really well. But uh, um, you know, their, their forward line looks a little bit more... Functional, I think that some personal won this one, but I think Cooper Sharman showed a bit last week, which is good yeah. attached to their forward line. He's a good mark and got Membry and King, and so and they've got the small players buzzing around, so they've got um, they've got some talent in the forward line. So I don't think the betting this week have got a dollar twenty three to four twenty is really. Wow. I think I think it's all about the home the home ground. Yeah. Uh, so could have got a lot to play for, I think. The Lions at home, you'd have to pick them. Um, they're just just a lot more assured at home. You know, it was a good win last week against Collingwood, even though Collingwood were under man. And I think I think uh, Danaher and Hintwood are starting to improve. You know, we mentioned before whether you could trust them in finals. They're starting to become a bit more trustworthy. Uh, their midfield, Neil, was a little bit better last week. I would think St Kilda would try and put a clamp on him. The stats show... If Lockie Neal gets nine or more clearances, that they win most games. Um, so there will be a clamp on him. Steel maybe go to him. Uh, so all, all in all, though, I think the Lions can win this game. Interesting. Uh, I've got an interesting coaching question to ask you about St Kilda. Um, so King and Membry come back in as a lineup. Does that make St Kilda? speed up their ball movement and be more direct and then the scores go up. Is that a deliberate thing where, sorry, is it a subconscious thing where the players see those targets there and think, okay, now we can go quicker and more direct? Or is it more deliberate as in when they weren't there, Ross was having them be more deliberate and slow with the ball movement because they didn't have the targets there? Oh, I think they wanted to go quick, but they just went around the boundary and then they got, became predictable. Remember, Brisbane played it last time. Brisbane plus played it down here in Melbourne, just played a kick-catch game. It was a boring game, so it's mainly Brisbane's doing. Just kick-catch, so it didn't allow St Kilda to get on the rebound, to get in on the counter-attack. Yeah. I think it's a subconscious with more talent ahead of the ball. They are prepared to come back into the middle a bit more. They are prepared to change angles. Uh, still trying to go quick, but they've got, I think subconsciously, the players got more confidence once ahead of the ball, so they're prepared to get it in there a bit more quickly. So given how good they are, they have been all year defensively, and now they are more potent up forward, and the scoreboard says they are scoring more. Are they a, there's been this sort of scepticism about them, you know, how far they can go in the finals. Do they, potent, do they have the potential to go deeper into September than some people think, do you reckon? Uh, yeah, they do. I, I I think they can win the first final. Yeah, I think that's. I think their tall forwards, uh, sorry, tall defenders or lack of will cost them. I think 
It's their system that's in back rather than the individuals. And I think they've still got, and they know that. They've got concerns in the midfield. They're exactly Sinclair. They're slower than midfield. Crouch is doing a good job. Steele's a really good player, but they are uh, slow. So once they come become really good teams against really good midfields consistently week in and week out, the final series will catch them out in the end. And just a quick one on Brisbane. I mean, that um, win over Collingwood last week and, and uh, the fact that if they win this, they lock in the potential for two home finals. I mean, that to me, I look at that result and that path and I go, okay, absolutely now every chance they can or will win a flag. That was the difference between me saying they can and can't win the flag. Do you feel like that? Oh, certainly there are chances. I reckon it's really even up now. I don't think they were in the conversation you said now. I think uh, colleague would have slipped a bit with their injuries. Melbourne, a really good chance. People aren't talking about a sport as much, but I, uh, I, I tend to disagree. Again, depending on personnel, but I think I think Brisbane are really in the in the mix now. Yeah, I think the only reason people haven't spoken about Port the last couple of weeks is they've been off off Broadway a bit. Yeah, you know that yeah. win over Frio certainly was, and uh, it, it is. It's it's so incredibly even, isn't it? And uh, we'll we'll get to that with our weather predictors. But uh, all right, a tip and a margin, please. Uh, Lions by fifteen points. Yeah, same. I don't think it'll be by a lot. I'm gonna go for Brisbane by twelve points. All right, uh, let's talk Saturday night. Well, this isn't the blockbuster it was supposed to be, but still very, very big stakes for one of these two sides. I'm talking about Geelong and the Western Bulldogs, 7.25pm Saturday night, GMHBO Stadium. The Cats, out of the running, will not play finals for just the second time in Chris Scott's tenure as coach. They're 11th on the ladder after that 33-point loss to St Kilda, and they've lost four of their last five games. Plus, uh, and we'll get to this, they've tipped out about... Well, they're fielding about half a senior side this week. The Bulldogs are ninth after that shock loss to West Coast by seven points. They've lost five of their last seven. So both their sides not exactly setting the world a lot. Uh, Geelong very much had the upper hand in meetings against the Bulldogs. They've won 18 of 20 clashes between these two sides, going back to your time as Bulldog coach Rocket. 2009. My God. Bulldogs' last win over the Cats was 2019. Geelong at the Cattery, of course, really hard to beat. 30 wins from their last 36 games there. Uh, Bulldogs, well, like everyone else down there, they've struggled. They've lost their last 11 appearances and their last win at the Cattery, the Bulldogs, was 20 years ago, 2003. Uh, Personnel, well, I'll get you initial thoughts before I give the sorry tale of who's available for this game. Um... Yeah, the Bulldogs, as you mentioned, were extremely disappointing last week. Um, but, I mean, they had a lot to play for last week. But with the fact that they can show up a final spot, I, no, I think the Bulldogs will win this game. Geelong, uh, you now so many key players already mentioned out. There might be more, um, which will be the case of their forward line. I, I think they're going to be good account themselves a catch at home. They'll be... Uh, backs against the wall mentality is uh, nobody's picking us to win we're a young tired so they'll, they'll show a bit but the Bulldogs have just got to bring their A-grade gun as intensity and work rate um, it's it's their first final so they're, they're playing finals early um, they haven't got a great record down there but I still think the Dogs can get up in a close one 
I'm trying to remember the last time I tipped against Geelong at Geelong, and I'm pretty sure it would be 2006, if even then. It might even be earlier than that. It's, it's, but you, you just, I don't, you cannot tip him given the personnel. And if you're wondering what we're talking about, well, Jeremy Cameron, Gary Rowan, and Mark Blitzarves already sent in for surgery. They're, they're probably going under the knife as we speak. Uh, yeah. G'day, boys, if you haven't listened to this. So, season over for them. Uh, Tom Hawkins, another hamstring strain. He won't be there. Rudder Galea, uh, hamstring for him. He won't be there. Brad Close, ankle injury. He won't be there. And Mitch Duncan, out suspended. So there's, you know, like three or four of their best 10 players. Uh, probably more than that, to be honest. Let's talk personnel for the Bulldogs. Jack McRae, pretty important absentee. Uh, concussion protocols for him. Uh, big one for them, Tom Liberatore. He's on track to return this week after missing uh, the West Coast game of concussion. Jason Johannesson is set to miss a third game because of a calf injury. Uh, pretty simple. Well, it's not, actually, it's not that simple. They could win Western Bulldogs and still miss out if GWS upsets Carlton. But basically, if they oh, have to win by a bit and GWS have to lose by a bit, that's right, isn't it? Uh, no, the Bulldogs have got a better percentage. Oh, they do. Sorry, apologise. Okay, uh, so Bulldogs uh, win, and the Giants lose. They play for. But they're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah, pretty different levels of motivation. I'm going to do it. I, I'll I'll do it with bated breath, but uh, I'm going to tip the Bulldogs here. What are you doing? Yeah, I'll go the Bulldogs by thirteen points. Thirteen points. I'm going to tip them by the barest of margins, which, given I always have to tip even number margins, I'm going for the Bulldogs by two points. Uh, all right, let's talk about the other game on on Saturday evening. Well, I think it's fair to say this one comes under the category of uh, diehards only, and uh, it's West Coast Adelaide, 8.10pm Eastern Standard Time. Pretty late start at Optus Stadium in Perth. West Coast, 17th on the ladder. They're off the bottom after that third win of the season, the shock victory over the Bulldogs. And Adelaide, of course, tragic. Uh, Goal umpire-inspired loss to Sydney by one point. They are 13th on the ladder and finals now off the table for them. Head-to-head, Adelaide's won the last three, uh, and the last meeting was an absolute shellacking in round 13. Uh, the Crows won that one by 122 points. West Coast on their home deck have only won three of the past 25. Adelaide, this is an interesting one. Optus Stadium been around a while now, but Adelaide's only played there four times, uh, three of which have been losses. They've won there just the once. Uh, extensive injury lists for both those teams, but uh, what are you thinking here, Rocket? Um, there's only two interesting points. Two interest points uh, for the game. What are One is some retirements of uh, the West Coast Eagles players and, uh, and how they respond to that. And yep. the second one is, can Taylor Walker kick enough goals to challenge for the Coleman? So that's the only interest in that game for me. I think uh, you've done well to find those two. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's talk about the retiring guys. So all eyes, obviously, on Luke Shuey and Shannon Hearn. Shuey coming or trying to come back from a hamstring. Uh, Hearn trying to come back from an Achilles tendon. 
issues as we record this, both uh, said to be on track to play. I mean, look, just, you know, get them to limp onto the ground for five minutes if you need to. Uh, Elliot Yo uh, won't be part of it, though. He's had another hamstring injury. He's got dodgy hammies, hasn't he? And uh, the Eagles will finish this season as they began it uh, and ditto last year with a really long injury list. Uh, Adelaide's injury list is considerable now too and uh, added to with McAdam fracturing a cheekbone in that uh, clash with Sydney after, well, uh, we need to talk. We, in fact, yeah, we will talk about this one, the McCartan suspension, which was overturned, but a consequence of that was McAdam uh, with a cheekbone injury fractured. He won't play. Uh, Rory Sloan uh, still to be tested. Uh, they're the major ones there. Um, Taylor Walker, yeah, geez. He's sort of in that Tom Hawkins class now, guys who seem to be getting better the older they get, Rocket. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah he's had a great season. He's had a fantastic season. So um, last time we played the Eagles, he kicked 10. So uh, yeah. if he can, it depends on Kerno kicking goals as well, but it uh, gives him a chance for the con when he gets, I don't know how far he's behind him, actually. So, it, uh, yeah, I, I, look. You can't go past the Crows. You don't know whether they're going to be deflated after last week and sort of peter out and uh, emotion of the retirees, get the Eagles up after the great win last week. But you, you have to pick the Crows, and I picked the Crows 27 points. Uh, 27 points. Yeah, it's a bit of a... Uh, I mean, the Eagles, uh, credit where it's due, the Eagles have been a lot more competitive, generally speaking, over the last, what, five or six weeks, haven't they? Yeah, except for a couple of hundred. Apart from those ones, yeah. So I've just—I was just padding there because I was looking up the goal kicking, uh, trying to give some answers here. And uh, here's the state of play: Charlie Kernow is eight ahead of Walker, so it's kind of yeah. It's only just really catching, yeah. uh, Yeah, Kernow on seventy-five, Walker on sixty-seven. And by the way, and we should have said this too: third in the Coleman Medal with sixty-two goals in a side that. Hasn't been able to win. Nick Larkey, he's been outstanding. Come well, yeah, six, six, six goals for him last week. All right, so uh, we're both going for Adelaide here, and um, uh, emotional occasion with the Eagles saying goodbye to a couple of greats. But uh, I think we both think Adelaide's going to win. What's your margin? Uh, Twenty-one points. Twenty-one. I go thirty. All right. Uh, three games to finish off the final round of the season. They're all on Sunday, and uh, my maths tells me, oh, no, it's all changed. I've got to add that up again. I'll get back to you. <laughs> all right, uh, I've worked it out, Rocket. I was going to parrot my usual line about how many home and away games there are, but it's changed because of that damn gather round. So these are the 205th, 6th, and 207th games of the home and away rounds played on the last day of the home and away season. It kicks off 12.30, early start, 12.30 Eastern time, Port Adelaide taking on Richmond at Adelaide Oval. Uh, the power are third on the ladder now after that 16-point win over Frio. Richmond uh, beat North by 29 points in the farewell games of Jack Rewald, Trent Cochin, 12th on the ladder. Uh, Port 
Richmond head-to-head. Richmond have won uh, six of the last 10, but Port Adelaide did win by 10 points against the Tigers back in round 11. Port 16 out of their last 21 games at Adelaide Oval. Richmond, eight wins, 11 losses at Adelaide Oval. Uh, Over there, well, every visit they've had there, and this year they've been there twice uh, for one one result. They beat the Crows there. They lost to Sydney there as part of Gather Round. Like we said, Port been uh, off Broadway the last couple of weeks. Uh, talk about personnel, but a uh, big chance for them here because if, if and it's a big if, but if Brisbane do stumble, uh, big chance for Port to move into second and get a home final rocket. Yeah, for sure. And they'll know that by the time they start the game. But they, even though they lost those four games, and we mentioned last week, their form's been okay, and they were really good last week. Again, they got the job done really good the week before. So Richmond started struggle. They had a couple of retirees. Obviously, won't play this week. Um, now they really just had a middle-of-the-run season. You know, they were in the finals contention up to about three weeks ago. But... It's been a bit of a nothing year for them. I don't know what the future holds for them, to be honest. I think it's going to be a tough tough time ahead, a tough road. But uh, I like Port. Um, Dixon will be a key to them. He probably won't play this week. but will play the first week in the finals. Jonas has announced his retirement. Obviously, he must be a great character because that seems to be done very seamlessly, him being dropped as captain. So it must be his character and he's just... Uh, uh, going about his job to get uh, to actually submit his spot up. So uh, I like the way Port play. They've got three stars in the midfield, uh, up and coming uh, superstars, really. Butters is an absolute absolute gem, the way they play. But, um, yeah, I think at home, I think I think they'll win this game pretty comfortably. I, I, you know, you get pairings of players who you find it impossible to think of one without thinking of the other. That's how I am with... Zach Butters and Connor Rosie. It's like they're sort of joined yeah. at the hip, you know, recruited at the same time. They're both, they've both been fantastic. You do rarely see one of them in the best players when the other one isn't in the best players, do you? No, that's right. Now, now Butters is a little bit shorter, but they play very similar in many ways and they sort of glide a bit. You know, Butters throws himself in recklessly, um, yeah. but their class as well, their ability to see targets and their. their Sure hands, especially under pressure and in the wet even. Now they just dug fumble, so they're terrific players. Uh, so as far as personnel goes, support uh, Dixon, Lysette and McKenzie all on track to be available for this one. Wow. Uh, Ryan Burton left the ground early in that win over Frio, still yet to be given an official diagnosis as we record this. Uh, Tigers, of course, well, um, no Rewalt, no Cochin, Sonsi. Uh, oh, that was uh, an ugly one. Uh, well, I can't believe that they over three weeks and gave him three weeks instead of the five. Like, no, no, no. That's, you know, we're talking about the head and that's that's a coward punch. That's a king hit. Like, he, minimum five. They've got to overturn that again and go back the other way. Well, that was, that was right out of the 1970s, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, should I- so what would the rationale be for downgrading that? I don't know. Or they get him five and they should just... I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. It's uh, it's a weird one. It's sort of a, it, it flies under the radar a bit, doesn't it? Because there's so much else sort of going on at the moment because it was in the VFL. But if you know, if there was less happening and and the media decided to focus on that, that could be actually a really. 
big story because it does seem manifestly inadequate, doesn't it? It does. There's no doubt. And it should be. Should be. Hopefully they look at it. Just a quick question without notice. Andrew McQualter, is he more or less of a chance to get that job permanently as a result of his uh, stepping into the breach? I I think that, like, he's, he's, he's still at least 50-50, so I'm not saying that. But I reckon he was 75-25, and I reckon that's come into 50-50. I reckon he's in with Newman and whoever, that the longer he's gone... And he's not doing a worse job. I think he's probably coaching really well. I mean, uh, but I think the sameness, probably the message of Hardwick. So, well, a lot's changed. Yeah. Um, results haven't gone their way because of personnel. And they're just not good enough. Yeah. Um, I would think we'll get people to think subtly, thinking their mind's changing. Oh, okay, let's consider other people. It's not a foregone conclusion. Because I, oh yeah, I've been thinking exactly the same thing, which is it's sort of ridiculous. But you, you, your coaching stocks seem to be better off the less you coach. And as the interim coach, if you can coach for about six games and get results, then it's it's like oh wow. But he's coached for a dozen or fourteen, and then it, you get the variations and the fluctuations come in, and um, it's an interesting one. But uh, and I, as I said, I think they'll make a decision. I either go make a decision on his talent and what they think, where they're at as a list. So it's going to be a development time. They're, they're not going to be in the fray to challenge. Uh, but is it, can he convince them that he's going to change the message of what? Because they need to change the message of what Hardwick had. Um, new coach come in, it's got to be the breath of fresh air. It's got to, it's got to change uh, the whole dynamics a bit, not so much the culture, but change the dynamics. So whether he can do that, I He's probably talented enough to do that, but he needs to convince Brendan Gale, et cetera, to be able to do that. Talk about damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, like it's like yeah. he, he should have said no, I won't be the interim coach, but then if he said no, as if he would have been any sort of chance to get the job. Oh, that's right. It's tough. It's, 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 so, see, so I, I haven't coached Rocket. I could sit here and say, I'd be a fantastic coaching candidate for Richmond. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing with McCoy, if he doesn't get this job, I think by coaching has boosted his stocks up in the AFL world. Yeah. Uh, so before that, we knew him as an assistant coach, but no one really knew him. But I think he's been impressive enough that if he doesn't get the Richmond job, uh, be, and I think he'll only not get it because he's been with Hardwick for so long. Not that, you know what I mean? It's, it's more about changing the message that I think he'll get another. I think he'll be in the mix to get another job. Yeah, uh, and good luck to him. He seems like quite a, a nice guy and... You know, like a, prior to this stint, I must say my my preeminent memory of him was one of the St Kilda guys that missed a shot he shouldn't have in the 2009 Grand Final, which is a bit a bit harsher really to him for that. All right, um, I think we're both going for Port. What uh, margin for you? Uh, port by 35. 35. Yeah, I'm going to go 30s as well. I think I've got three tips in the 30s. I'm going to go Port Adelaide 38. All right, two games remaining. Let's talk about the second one because it's pretty important. 3.20 p.m. at the SCG. Sydney takes on Melbourne. The Swans seventh on the ladder after that thrilling one-point win over the Crows. They've won their last six games now, the Swans, on the bounce after all looked lost. It's been a terrific revival by them, not for the first time. 
And Melbourne, fourth on the ladder after a pretty efficient 27-point dispatching of Hawthorne. And the Ds have won six of their last seven and lost the other one by a kick to Carlton. Head-to-head, Sydney have won seven of the last ten meetings between these two sides, but did lose by 50 points to Melbourne at the MCG in round three. Uh, Sydney at the SCG hasn't been a great hunting ground for them this year. They've only won four of the last nine games there, actually. And Melbourne, here's an interesting stat for you. Melbourne have only played five times at the SCG in the last uh, 16 years, since 2007. And they've only won one of them, and uh, they've lost four. And the one win was against Collingwood, not not (laughs) Sydney. That was, uh, again, in one of those COVID-afflicted years. Now, uh, interesting possibilities here, Rocket. Melbourne conceivably, uh, well, Melbourne probably are going to stay fourth on the ladder regardless of what happens, but it's not inconceivable that they could end up having to go to Brisbane for a final, which they wouldn't be that keen on. Sydney, plenty to play for for them because it is possible they could get a home final with a win here. Um, One big bit of personnel news and that uh, dramatic news, of course, Tom McCartan was suspended for two games. For that uh, collision with Shane McCannum, that has been overturned. So that's a big availability for them uh, when you think about how well Melbourne's forward line is going. Fascinating uh, scenario, this game. What's going to happen, do you think? Uh, very hard to predict. I, I, I'm going to lean towards Sydney for some reason, even though Melbourne have had very good form and Oliver's back. Um I mean, Oliver didn't have a great game last week. Finn McGuinness did a terrific job on him. Uh, but he'll be better for the run. He's had two runs now, a third one in. I, you know, you still don't expect him to be dominant. But by the time the final center, he'll be a far better player. Sydney were terrific the first half last week. I don't know what happened the second half. Uh, just a few of them just went to sleep. They just fell away. And Isaac Heaney was terrific first half, then just didn't see him. Um, Warner as well. So they just need to... Get that, and that's the that's the knock on Sydney is this what they were renowned for this hardness and toughness. They seem to have lost that a little bit. Yeah, um, uh, certainly contestable. If they lose contestable uh, by you know, more than six or seven, they really struggle, and they haven't got the you now the Joey Kennedys and Parker's not as young as he used to be, and you now the Jude Boltons they used to have a real toughness around their midfield. They haven't got that anymore. Um, uh, you know, they tend to, they're going to worry in the ruck. Gorn should dominate uh, Hickey. Uh, that's a real concern. I'm talking myself out of it. I don't I was going for a second. But yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't want to think more or more. Um, but not having played SCG, it's it's not going to suit Lever and May as much as you would think because the ground's concertina so much and to drop off. And Sydney played really well. So for all the... Common sense and stats should pick Melbourne. I'm, I'm leaning towards Sydney. Well, I must say I'm feeling a bit the same way. Um, Personnel-wise, uh, interesting selection week for Sydney this one because Amati and Papley both managing hamstring issues. But you've got the week off. So, so they won't play this week. Well, I don't know. I would have thought the week off. Doesn't it mean that more likely they will play? Because they and they want to win and get a home final. I mean, uh, are they hamstring issues or are they just tightness or what? Because Papley went off and he got subbed out. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, surrounded in mystery. We're just saying it's, it's just saying Papley hamstring test. 
Amati hamstring test. Um, that week off, yeah, do you give him the extra week off and risk not having a home final? Well, he's, as a hamstring is either right or not. I mean, yeah. you don't take a risk with it because it's just not going to last. So uh, that may then change my, my thinking a bit. Maybe maybe a pepper going off was a catalyst as well when they dropped away because he's got that bigger bit of cheek, a bit of pep in him. Uh, so anyway, yeah, other injury news? Uh, well, for Melbourne, Bailey Fritch, um, he could actually be right to return this weekend. So interesting whether Melbourne go with him straight away. Uh, do you think there's any chance a guy like Fritch plays a game in the VFL or do they just bring him straight back? Would be a chance, yeah. But they'd rate him highly. It's depending you know, you kind of, at least in the VFL, you can control his minutes really easily and play at the intensity he needs to play at just to get through the game. Uh, with the AFL, but you never know. I mean, they've done teams have done it with other players, so yeah, I don't know the answer. Depending on the individual, and the other one, Ben Brown, um, expected to be available, but uh, beginning to look a bit uh, unlikely for Ben Brown. I think in that side again, given the way the combinations that Van Ruyen and Melksham are ticking over, it's going to be hard. Yeah. Do you, I, I don't think we'll see Brown again. Will we? No, I don't think so. I think uh, in each continuity each few games. Melchon is the other one that's done really well. He did really well on Sicily last week. Uh, yes. He's a smart player and he can mark him like he's not super quick, but he knows where the goals are and he's had a role. So if Fritch comes back, people are saying they couldn't play on the same side. Well, they can because Melchon can play a different role to him. So, yeah. Is he, he's, a, he's a footballer's footballer, Jake, isn't he? he yeah. He's, he, he's a very high footy IQ. Yeah. Very smart. He's a good mark. He's a good kick both sides of the body. So, so he's a valuable player for them. Good guy too. And I, I liked how he spent the first half of his career talking about how he was a boxer as a junior. We stopped saying that a while ago. Uh, all right, give us a tip and a margin. Oh, uh, well, with, I'm changing mine now. Without Pat Lee, I I know I'm sure he won't play. Uh, the fact if he's going to play, it'd be more than a chess lead. say he's going to play. So I'm going to go for Melbourne by nine points. All right. Well. I sort of want to change the tip I had, but I'm not going to because I've locked in my ladder predictor and everything, and you just you just stuffed your ladder predictor up. But uh, I'm going to stick with the Swans because I just think there's a little more for them to be playing for. So, but not by long. I'm going to go for Sydney by four points on that one. Uh, one game left in the entire home and away season. Let's talk about it. So the final game of the home and away season could mean something and uh, could mean nothing by the time we get to it. We'll have to wait and see how events unfold. But as Carlton and GWS, uh, the Blues fifth on the ladder now after their ninth win in a row, just scraped over the line against Gold Coast and GWS just smashed Essendon by 126 points. And they're eight with 12 wins and 10 losses. Carlton have won the last three games between these two. Narrow 10-point win over the Giants in round three at Giants Stadium. Uh, at Marvel, Carlton are four wins and three losses this season, but have won their last three against Port Adelaide, West Coast and St Kilda. GWS have lost seven of their last 10 at Marvel, only played there once this year, and that was a 13-point loss to Essendon in round four. Uh, so the Giants obviously barracking for Geelong against the Bulldogs, but uh, if the Bulldogs do win, well, the Giants need to win Rocket. Can they do it? Uh, they certainly can do it. Um, they're in very good 
all oh, even apart from last week and um, Hogan showed a bit so just their tools Ricardo's a good foil for them uh, Taylor down back Callum Ward's really uh, turned back the clock um, in the form in the midfield so Toby Green we know is a star yeah I, I think they can I think they can win um, Calder in very good form Kerno's the one I mean, he's such a good player even if he's up the ground he's such a He's close to the best field kick in the competition. He just kicks darts. You know, 60 metre darts that just put a bloke into space. And uh, it's very hard to defend. Um, so, you now no, Mackay made an encouraging uh, return last week. Uh, probably gets maybe Cherry and Kennedy, maybe, and uh, some other players back. So that that uh, adds to them. Um, Carlton will be favourites. I'm going emotional pull here. I'm, I'm going to back the Giants. What's the emotional pull for GWS for you? Oh, I backed them early in the year, so they're a good side. So I'm going to stick with my um, being positive about them. I mean, round one, where you we actually ridiculed me, right? I get ridiculed. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I got on board as soon as I discovered that Adam Kingsley was a big fan of heavy metal. I thought, uh, well, I've got to. Uh, no, they've been really impressive, and I, I, I'm like you. I, I sort of I've got a bit of a soft spot for them. They've been great. And look, they're every chance here, but I just I can't tip against the side that's won nine in a row and's playing no. really good footy. And personnel wise, yeah, now you touched on it. Chera, Kennedy, Walsh, and McGovern all expected to be fit this weekend. And uh interesting selection poser, isn't it? Because you don't want to disrupt a, a winning combination and yet these guys have to play if they're going to be part of the Yeah, they have to finals. There's no there's no doubt they have to play. There's there might be one or two players in there that have played 10 in a row and they just give them a spell or whatever the case may be, so or, yeah. or carrying a little niggle, so not going to take a risk. So there'll be something there like that. But And, it, and doesn't the, the pre-finals buys really change the equation on this stuff too? And, uh, well, a big hobby horse of mine, I'm very anti-pre-finals buy. Where do you stand on the pre-finals buy? Um, I don't mind the idea of a buy some stage. Um Maybe is do we get like the American have to buy after the preliminary final? Yeah, well. So if you get concussions, the yeah. players can play. Can more chance to have the two best teams play out of all this? Well, I, th- I think thinking is coming more around to that, isn't it? And of course, we have done that back in twenty twenty one. We had the pre grand final buy, and that was a pretty action packed grand final, wasn't it? No, certainly a high octane grand final. Yeah, now this, yeah, certainly, and I think going forward, more and more play. I think that concussion protocols and rules are going to become tighter, and so there'll be more players off of that. Blokes carrying a niggle, you're, you're fresh, gives a good chance in grand final to be a spectacle, and it's what we wanted to be. All right, so you're going for the Giants, the margin. Giants by seven points. I'm going to go for the Blues, uh, but not by a lot. I'm going to go for Carlton by 10 points. So we differ only on two, and they are the last two games of the home and away season. Uh, Normally, I'd say, well, that's it. But just one point of business here. We've been doing the ladder predictors. We've now given our tips to all those games. Um, I think we should give what we think the final eights will be. And given you've just decided at the last second to change one of your tips, do you know what your final eight will now be, Rocket? Are you able to uh, articulate it? Uh, yes. Uh, Collingwood? Yeah. Brisbane? Yeah. Port Adelaide? Yeah. Melbourne? Yeah. Carlton? Yeah. St Kilda? Yeah. 
Sydney. Yeah. And the Giants. Okay. Goes uh, so. All right. So that would um, give us your order of fi- um, your finals. Who plays? Played Melbourne. Yep. Now that should have to be Friday night or Saturday night. I oh, don't worry about just, when. Just tell us who plays. Oh, no, I just like to. Uh, <laughs> later, do you yeah. want to do take over the scheduling <laughs> as well? Brisbane played Port. Yeah. Brisbane. Yeah. Carlton play the Giants here in Melbourne, and it's to play Sydney in Melbourne. Killed a Sydney in Melbourne. They'll probably be at one of the secure Sydney. One of those about Marvel for Shin. Uh You reckon? Yeah, maybe four four were. Yeah, I don't know. We're interesting. All right. So my eight is Collingwood, Brisbane, Port Adelaide, Melbourne, Carlton, Sydney, St Kilda, and the Western Bulldogs. So my finals rundown is Collingwood playing Melbourne. Brisbane playing Port, similar to you. Uh, where it's different, I've got Carlton playing the Western Bulldogs and Sydney hosting Sydney. St Kilda at the SCG, which means um, you'd have two Melbourne finals. You've got three Melbourne finals. So a bit of difference there. So, yeah, well, maybe it will still be alive until that final game between Carlton and GWS, which is exactly what the AFL would have wanted. All right, yeah. that's it for this yeah. week. What a bumper episode. We've covered a lot of... Yeah, well, you go for a while, Roland, so um, very good. Great to chat. Yeah, okay. Chat. You have can charge charge me a bit more if you're going over to Arsene's. Just uh, some more housekeeping, by the way. Uh, there is a buy next week, but we will be back because, Rocket, here's your homework. We're going to run through the non-finals playing sides and talk about the sort of seasons they've had. So uh, we will be bringing you something chock full of content. And I think again. we could probably have a chat about what they need to look at and where they need to change us. And, and it's not only personnel, but then uh, issues, game plan or whatever they need to do. That's exactly what I had in mind. You, you read my mind. Uh, I, I don't need to send you a text now. Uh, all right. Thanks, everyone. Good luck for your teams this week. Uh, and we'll speak again next week. See ya.